Today we come to Acts chapter 13. Uh, this chapter presents the first extensive account of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It marks the transition where the Apostle is called by his Roman name Paul rather than his Hebrew name Saul. Uh, this makes sense uh, since Paul's calling now was to work and minister predominantly among the Gentiles. I, some see Saul as his pre-Christian name and that his name was changed to Paul upon his conversion to Christ. There really, really isn't any basis for that view, and both are variations of the same name. Saul is Hebrew, Paul is Latin. But um, here in this chapter we see Paul sent out with uh, Barnabas and John Mark by the church in Antioch on his first missionary journey. And this is around the year A.D. Uh, 46 or 47. And this will be go from Acts 13.4 to 14.26. In this chapter, the first leg of the trip, Paul and his companions begin in Antioch in Syria and then travel to Seleucia in Syria, uh, then to Salamis and Paphos on the island of Cyprus, then to Perga in the region of Pamphylia and uh, a different Antioch in the region of Pisidia in the neighborhood of sort of, I guess you mapped it out, it would be like almost 500 miles in total. So like I said, it's around 80, 80 46 or 47. So uh, just to give you a time stamp on it. So let's, let's consider some things we find here. And really what I want to focus on today from this chapter is uh, really on the Holy Spirit. Um, groups that uh, do not hold to the doctrine of the Trinity as we've seen in earlier passages in the New Testament, go to great lengths unsuccessfully to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, it is spelled out so clearly in so many passages that it requires willful blindness uh, to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. The same is true with regard to the Holy Spirit. Uh, though the evidence may not be as uh, abundant or numerous as, it, as with Jesus Christ, it is just as obvious and clear we began to see that back in chapter 5 in Acts, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You might remember that when Peter told Ananias and Sapphira that when they lied uh, about what they had, had given, uh, they were, Acts 5.3 tells us, they, were, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And he says in Acts 5.4, when they lied to the Holy Spirit, quote, they did not lie to men but to God. So it doesn't take tremendous reasoning powers to draw the obvious conclusion that Peter in that passage referred to the Holy Spirit as God. Well, there's more evidence here in the beginning of chapter 13. I mean, it's not quite as in your face as chapter 5 calling simply the Holy Spirit, calling him God. But what we find here uh, does add to the cumulative case that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, the third person of our triune God. There are three things that the Holy Spirit does in the first few verses of this chapter that are worthy of notice. He speaks, he calls, and he sends. These things, these three things, infer two very important things. One, the Holy Spirit is a person and not a, an impersonal force like the wind or something like that. He's a person. And two, he possesses the very authority of God. So let's think about those two things quickly. Uh, in verse 2, the, the church was together praying. Uh, think about yesterday, what we talked about on prayer meetings. They were together praying here again, when all of a sudden it says, uh, the Holy Spirit said, now, leaving aside for a moment what he actually said, 
the very fact that the Holy Spirit said something is remarkable and, and instructive. Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, deny the doctrine of the Trinity and thus believe that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but is rather an impersonal force, like the wind or the force in Star Wars or something. But have you ever heard the wind talk? No, you haven't. I mean, the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks here, and there's other places, numerous other places, in evidence that he is, uh, it evidences that he's not a, a force. As he talks, he's a person, he speaks. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. Thus, up to this point, we see that the Holy Spirit is personal, just as God is personal, but there's more. When the Holy Spirit speaks to them, he tells the church, here's what he says, uh, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, verse 2. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit is saying there in verse 2, he doesn't say set apart for the Lord as if the Lord God is someone else other than the Holy Spirit. He says set apart for me. He says that because he is the Lord. Furthermore, he tells them to set those men apart, quote, for the work to which I have called them. In other words, it was the Holy Spirit who decided in eternity past, in a, in a similar way to Galatians 1.15, that he would save Paul and use Paul as an instrument of his to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. Who does that? God does that. God the Holy Spirit. And this is confirmed again in verse 4, that it was not only the Holy Spirit who chose those men and called them for a particular task in eternity past, but who also sent them out for that task when the time in history came. Sure, it was the church in Antioch who, in verse 3, laid their hands on them and sent them off, but ultimately, uh, verse 4, they were being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is not simply personal, just as God is personal, but he also possesses the very authority that God alone possesses. So, whereas in Acts 5, we have a clear reference to the Holy Spirit as God, Acts 5, 3, and 4, here we have that truth put into action before us as we see the Holy Spirit speaking, calling, and sending these missionaries out on their appointed journey. But secondly and finally, uh, the majority of this chapter is composed of Paul's sermon in Antioch of Pisidia. <clears throat> and uh, Paul preaches to them, and uh, the message is, is consumed with Jesus. He preached Jesus who he is and what he's done for our salvation. And Paul shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God had said through the prophets of the Old Testament. And it's fascinating to me that when Paul came to the end of his message, uh, in verse 42, it says, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They were thirsty to hear the word of God spoken to them. And indeed, Verse 44 tells us that on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. This is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work, drawing people to faith in Christ. In this particular instance, the Jews hardened their hearts and, as Paul said, judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. Verse 46. On the other hand, all the Gentiles were rejoicing 
in all that they had heard and were glorifying the word of the Lord. Verse 48. So the spirit was moving in the people, not only making them hungry to hear the word again and again, but also drawing them to saving faith. Verse 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's just another reminder that salvation is the work of God from beginning to end. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would move among us as he did with them. And let's pray for that. Those are some thoughts from Acts chapter 13.